So taking a, a, a step towards the philo- philosophical, I think your contribution to the sport is absolutely incredible. You know, you, you stimulate such great conversation, you bring on great guests. What do you think your legacy is that you are leaving and want to leave? What's your unique gift? Mm, um, that is a very good question. I, I don't know if I have a unique gift necessarily, but I have some strengths and I have some weaknesses and I'm quite aware of what both of those are. And and I try to make the most of the strengths, of course, and mitigate my weaknesses either by working with other people that know these things better than I do. And uh, for example, aerodynamics that I'm doing right now, or just making them non-factors. Welcome to the Runform podcast. I'm Bobby McGee, running mechanics expert. And I'm Matt Pandola, your run-specific strength coach. Matt and I have been working together for almost a decade on some of the top athletes in the world, and we've decided to share that process with you guys. Hey, Matt, good to see you again. Pretty exciting podcast this time because uh, we have our first guest. I know. I, I don't know how we convinced him to come on, but I'm glad he's here. No, but we're really excited to have Michael on. I was actually on his That Triathlon Show podcast recently, and had a lot of fun with it, and I thought, hey, what if we flip the script, script here and have him come on instead? So uh, I, I know it's going to be a lot of fun answering some good questions today. We'll get into Michael's background and why we have him on in the first place. Yep, if you're a fan and if you're a triathlete and if you love the sport and you're a triathlon geek, there really is only one podcast to listen to, right? And that's that triathlon show with Michael Erickson. So it's, it's my go-to whenever I exercise and messes my exercise around because I have to stop and make notes. You know? I was nervous myself just being on his podcast and he was laughing because he said, it's always weird to me somebody's uh, such a fan. But yeah, I've, I've gotten so much valuable information from that triathlon show i highly recommend people listen to it especially if you like to geek out a little bit so it's a it's a lot of fun like you say that we'll flip the script and have him on the other end see if he can get uh some good answers out to our audience and good to have you on michael yeah thank you uh no, it's it's really great to be here and uh yeah we had a lot of fun recently met and and also not to uh forget that bobby has also been on that triathlon show uh, that was uh, back in episode 200 something. I think we just uh, established that it was early 2020 that we did that interview. Correct. Before the whole world went nuts, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I'm going to steal the Finnish gentleman's words and I'm going to say, without further ado, let's jump in. <laughs> okay. Um, so Michael, why don't you just uh, do a little introduction? I mean, obviously we we big fans, but, uh, uh, you know, um, love to to just hear you from a fresh introduce yourself yeah thank you so yeah i'm michael erickson i am a triathlon coach foremost but i also have a podcast as uh, you have uh said here uh that's triathlon show and uh i live in lisbon portugal since 2017 late 2017 uh, i am from finland originally uh, but I, I did live in in helsinki for about six seven seven years probably and went to university there and worked there in the kind of medical med tech uh, industry for a while while I was I guess starting to coach as well on the side as a bit of a side hustle and then I decided that I wanted to try to do it full-time and at that point I decided that I might as well move someplace warmer where I can train outside year-round and 
I ended up in Lisbon and uh, having actually never visited Portugal before. Oh, fantastic. You know, it, it's always fascinated me since since the 80s. I was a big fan of, of, of the big battle between Sebastian Coe and Steve Ovet. And there was a lot of talk in those days is how, how do middle distance runners and endurance runners that come from these climates that don't necessarily support endurance events get into the sport? And being, being up in fin- Finland, Helsinki and these places, I mean, there can't be a lot of time during the year where you can ride your bike outside and 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 go for an uncluttered run. No, especially the bike is the is the really difficult one. Uh, with uh, I'm trying to remember it's it feels like such a long time ago, but um, I think usually in April is when you when you start to go out on the roads again, and and uh, then it can still be a bit annoying because you have lots of lots of uh, loose uh, loose rock and sand on the roads and and you get lots of punctures those early early weeks and months and and then you can stay kind of until October I think but you always have to be dress dress well even you might have a really cold cold days even in summer uh, some from time to time so um, yeah I think I think there's it's maybe not as bad as especially these days when you have indoor trainers and Swift and everything you can definitely as long as you find a way to enjoy that kind of training i think it's uh it's not all bad but of course it's it's more fun to be outdoors and uh just for the pure enjoyment of of the sport uh i i do like to be in a place where i can go outdoors uh, every single weekend of the year if i want to good yep yep and also with most of the races being in hotter climates it's probably better to live in a warmer climate that is actually a really good point yeah i definitely think that there's something to that yeah, because I'm I'm okay with the long course guys training indoors, but when you have these, you know, skill events, you know, you look at people like you know Christian Blumenfeld, and you look at um, Jakob Ingebrigtsen and these guys. I mean, they had to do skill stuff. You have to run really, really fast uh, in in cold climates, and and you know the same with with the bike. That uh, I I wonder if it's the tough environment that makes them such good athletes that they just have to go to so such ends to get it done. I yeah I think that there's something to that but I I guess everybody's a bit individual I I believe in what makes them tick and and I think that maybe in in a country like Norway with Ingebrigtsen and Blumenfeld and and the likes they I I guess it favors maybe the kind of of athlete that has to have that bit of a I guess more really gritty attitude kind of like yep. I also see a lot from the UK triathletes coming through and uh, then if we look at a country like France, especially uh, on the short course triathlon scene, everybody seems so um, so uh, so skillful, so so super smooth in their technique and everything they're mm-hmm. doing in the water, on the run, and and on the bike. And th- it's just a different type of athlete. And and I think probably also just because of the culture of the different countries and the way that athlete trains in those countries. So it's uh, it's a bit of nature and nurture, I I guess that that combine there. But maybe one type of athlete uh, that would have success in, let's say, France or Spain doesn't have as much success in Norway or Finland. And another type of, of athlete that would have success in Norway and Finland doesn't have the same type of success in, in France and Spain. I, I really don't know, but it would be interesting if somebody would, would look into that and do some research study on it. Yeah, I don't yeah. think we have to look any further than the Rocky montage guys, you know, Rocky four. Come on, you know, he he trained outdoors, Drago was training inside, Rocky got robust. I mean, the rest <laughs> is history, right? Right? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, no, that's true. You know, and before the the um research before the surge of, of African runners, uh, the Finns had an unbelievable history in distance running, right? They had they had the the, the big superstars in, in the early nineteenth century. 
Yeah, uh, the flying fins. And yes. I think that they are uh, some of the, even something like interval training has to some extent, I, I believe, been at, at, attributed to them as being almost pioneers in, in starting to do interval training. But uh, so I think some of their interval training was even just kind of walk, walking and running in the in the woods. And uh, but then also just a more typical that we, what we refer to as interval running these days with, with faster balsa running interspersed with walking or, uh, or slower running. So, um, yeah, definitely Finland has a big endurance sports history and, and cross country skiing, uh, as well. Uh, we've, we've obviously had, had a lot of success there and not as much, uh, in the last decade or two as when I was a kid uh, in the nineties, we had a lot of success, uh, not all of it clean, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, uh, there there is an endurance sport history uh, in Finland for sure. Okay, I'm going to completely change direction now because I I understood from I think a recent podcast or something that you're getting married soon or you just got married. Yeah, getting married soon, uh, the first of July. So oh. uh, yeah, coming one one month and one week, I believe, uh, at the time of this recording. Oh, okay, fantastic. That's pretty exciting. That's exciting. And she knows you as an endurance coach and as an endurance athlete, so she she knows the lifestyle, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not. Uh, it, it is known. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Fantastic. All right. Um, so you know, just for people that don't know, your name is spelled with a K, but even back home, is it pronounced Michael or is it Mikhail or something like that? What you said is is quite close to what, how the Finns would say it. Okay. In in my native Swedish, it's uh, the emphasis is on the e sound, so Mikael. Okay. Okay. Very cool. So you were right, Matt. You were you were much closer to to how it should have been pronounced. So that's good. <laughs> yeah. With and I, this is something I think of every time I listen to you. With the uh, uh, variety, the eclectic nature of your guests, right? Sometimes it's athletes, mostly it's, it's scientists or coaches. Um, you, you know, with your background as well, you have a, a deep understanding of, of, of uh, sports science and, and, and exercise physiology. Um, how does that knowledge that you're getting from all those guests, because, you know, you need to be a very particular kind of individual to engage individuals that have that level of, of specific knowledge and, and expertise, how does that impact your own coaching when you're working with an age group athlete or even, I don't know if you coach any pros? Um, yeah, uh, a couple of them I do. So, and so, yeah, there, there's a mix with about 75% age groupers and 25% pros. Um, I, yeah, how, how it impacts me? Well, it, it really is, I, I, it's hard to attribute anything that I do to a single, let's say, interview or individual there are definitely some things there are some workouts that i give i now i'm just remembering one athlete that i prescribed a certain type of workout today and that is definitely something i learned from one of my guests or, or from his uh scientific studies and then i interviewed him about them so so there, there's there are some things that i can attribute directly to to a certain person but a lot of it is just uh, almost like i'm letting things simmer in my head for a while and then it all i kind of try i guess i assimilate a lot of knowledge and and it kind of and form my own uh, blend of all of the information if that makes sense and uh, and there are definitely some times that I try out something specific a specific intervention or a specific workout that but uh, more often than not I would say that yeah I definitely have my own style and but it is of course influenced by uh, a huge number of different inputs including but not limited to the some of the interviews that I'm that I'm doing. 
I do try to not have knee-jerk reactions though, and just because I did a really exciting interview, go and immediately try to implement those things. I try to give myself a bit of a a, a buffer. Uh, I usually try to aim for a one month that I'm not taking any action on anything, and uh, and then if it's still a good idea after one month, then th- then it has matured enough that I think that okay, let's let's try it now. Oh, fantastic! I think that's that's good discipline. That's typical Northern European discipline, right there. <laughs> Yeah, we have we have a, a, a fantastic world class resource, uh, a PT by the name of John Hodges that we refer to a lot. And whenever a new modality comes out in physical therapy, he has a an interesting rule of thumb. Matt, why don't you just share that with us? Yeah, well, we look at with a guy like John always having new case studies coming out and new things that we can look at. It can get overwhelming. Also, we get excited, right? It's like a new tool in the toolbox we can use. And I think the big thing is that we want to test and retest. And and similar to like you were saying before, Mikkel, is that we're going to look at potentially as coaches, what it is that we want to implement, maybe doing that beta testing even within ourselves for a while, see how that simmers. And I think that long term, really understanding what's in the box is the most important thing. So it can be sometimes a good couple of years before I really start to implement certain ideas, especially if there are things that I think are a little bit more, quote unquote, cutting edge. And then we realize over time that there was just a lot of hype, a lot of influence versus the actual education. So I often refer to guys like John Hodges or Dr. Albertson. She's another sports doc I work with getting their input, but also just getting the best current data from from what we know and what we can understand, and then seeing how does this actually translate with the real world with our athletes. I know as a younger coach, I certainly would get a little bit, I think, overzealous, overexcited about a new idea. Like, oh, geez, you know, we got to do that now. And then you uh, you realize that maybe you took a couple steps forward when maybe it should have been a step back, actually, to to see how this is actually working over time. Yeah, any thoughts on that, Mikhail? Well, I can definitely sign off on being there, done that with maybe implementing <laughs> things a bit too early. Uh, yeah, no, I, I I think that that's, I agree with all of that. And I, I also, that's a good point you make there with trying it out on yourself first. That's something that I do a lot in my my training. I'm, I'm I guess, less ambitious as an athlete, or I, I know I'm much less ambitious as an athlete than I am as a coach. Uh, so, but I'm a perfect guinea pig and test lab to to try out some stuff and see see what works and and what doesn't for me. And I don't definitely don't take that as the uh, final answer for everybody or and uh, anything like that. But it's at least it gives me some some initial indications and uh, and I can use that to, or to see how quickly I want or don't want to implement something something new that I learned. Yeah, talk, talking about being uh, ambitious as a coach, do you sometimes fantasize about finding the next Eden or Yi or Nib or Duffy? Yeah, that would be fun. Uh, I mean, absolutely. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't say no to that. Um, I definitely think that in terms of, and I guess maybe that blends a little bit into another question that I, I don't know you have on the list there, but um, I think that if we're talking about short course stars, then that's also, there are some more downsides to that, I think, compared to long course in that you might get a bit involved in the politics of federations and so on, that 
sometimes, or you don't, you don't necessarily have to get too involved in it, but it, I've heard from a lot of coaches that sometimes that does happen. And that's something that I think I can live without, to be honest. So, so I guess I would, if I had to choose, I, I would, uh, find the next star in in long course triathlon just because that keeps things a bit simpler from the from from that perspective okay so you don't have this uh, burning desire to have an olympic medalist that that's enough of a deterrent <laughs> because of all the politics yeah i think yes it is to be honest i i do think that the olympics is amazing and i think it's the biggest thing in in triathlon I, for me it's bigger than kona but and i love watching it as a spectator but it is a bit it is a pretty big deterrent i've heard some yeah some things from from that world that i i really don't want to risk getting involved with with the, just the politics of it all it's not nothing like terri- terrible or anything like that that i'm talking about it just seems like uh you know you, you're not you're not in control of your own destiny as a, necessarily always as an athlete and or as a coach. Uh, you have others that can pull the reins and and steer you in whichever direction. So so that's just what I'm talking about, basically. Yeah, yeah. When I was uh, somewhat younger, I got two invitations, actually three invitations, but two from the same country, uh, to look at the position of national team coach, and and both of those I I turned down. Uh, for that same reason, but the the wording that I used in 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 those interactions with the, with the federations was, if the coach does not have a milieu control, then it's uh, pointless taking on a job like that because you just set up for failure. But I was hoping with with your talent in uh, avoiding controversy in your podcast, you know, and there's been a lot of controversy in podcasts of late, of course, right. But in, in avoiding controversy, that you didn't maybe see yourself as uh, as a figure that could take a step towards stopping all this nonsense, you know, cutting out the bullshit and getting to the 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 practical part of coaching that incredible sport, which is uh, you know ITU racing. Yeah, no, that's I mean that's a good point, and of course there are coaches like uh, Paulo Sosa or Joel Filial that have their own uh, private squads and. Uh, of course, the athletes are still subject to the the fed, what the federation decides in in a certain sense. But as a coach, in in that scenario, you can stay a bit out of it all. And uh, and and I guess that is a scenario that would be much more appealing to me if if I were to go down uh, that path with the Olympics, have, having a private squad uh, rather than working for a federation. And uh, but yeah, with what you mentioned about the podcast, I think. Uh, the, the the thing there is that I am controlling. I'm in control of my, full control of my own podcast and uh, who I invite, what I talk about. Uh, well, I guess somebody can start talk, talking about whatever they want on the podcast. But if it's something very controversial, I can always not release that episode. And, and that has it has never happened because I just met the guests and and the topics that I'm interested in talking about are generally not very controversial. Uh, a lot of the topics you the first part of the answer is always it depends, uh, right? So. Uh, yeah, I think that I, I think that honestly, the the biggest part to not having uh, a controversy in the podcast is that I have the type of guests that are generally not not involved in that type of thing. Okay, okay. So with long course coaching, be having such a predilection for uh, being remote. What do you prefer? Do you like remote coaching or do you like hands on coaching? I see you do a, a number of camps and things, which look fascinating. Yeah, I do love doing the the camps, and I I love to meet up with my athletes whenever i can uh of course there are 
lots of opportunities when uh, going to races and things, even if it's not a dedicated camp, but at least getting to to meet athletes face to face. And and I definitely try to make use of of that opportunity. Uh, so so I I do like that. I, I like the combination, to be honest, of, of both of them. Uh, I think there's definitely something that there's definitely something that could be said for having a um, a performance uh, uh, environment where the athlete is there every day and the coach is there every day. But um, but I also think that the way that I work, uh, I have a pretty like a very close relationship with my athletes and I'm communicating with them a lot. So so I think that I I can yeah it, it works it works pretty well the way I do it with and and it allows me I think to to also do things that maybe I couldn't do if I had athletes around all the time like spend some time learning about new things reading papers. Um, talking with interesting people that I then publish on the podcast normally, but uh, but that kind of thing might not be possible if you're coaching in that kind of daily training environment. Uh, so, yeah. so there are advantages to to the remote uh, uh, the remote setting as well. Unbelievably time consuming. You know, I've spent a large portion of my career, you know, watching other coaches in their daily training environments. And especially in triathlon, if you look at the logistical organizational demands on the coach it's it's phenomenal you know it just has to be a team approach and then of course and that'll lead me to my next question uh, the the economics of the whole thing come into play so you know uh, I was going to ask you what do you find more gratifying the coaching or the or the, or the podcasting uh, and let, let's start with that and then I'll just lead into that next question yeah, I mean the coaching, uh, without a doubt, the the podcast is super fun. But it's uh, but coaching is my my main thing. That's I'm I'm a coach, not a podcaster. I'm a coach that has a podcast. Is is the way I I view myself. So so that's okay. the, the number one thing. Okay, okay. And then in terms of uh, and and you know uh, working a lot for a nation that doesn't have governmental support of Olympic sports, you know. Uh, uh, Draft legal triathlon in the U.S. is, you know, is is a costly business with uh, with not a lot of income potential. How do you distribute? Uh, and and you know, feel free to go as deep with this as you want to go. But how do you um, generate your income um, most effectively with with the various uh, seats that you sit in? Yeah. So the the main the main income is from the or two main i guess main sources of income would be the coaching and then i also have developed some ready-made training plans that are uh, quite popular for athletes that uh, aren't yet ready to commit to an individual coach but they want to benefit more from structured training and and a lot of athletes uh, or all athletes that i'm getting feedback from at least seem to be um, having having good success with those ready-made training plans so so those are the the two main sources and uh uh, a lot of listeners will be aware that I have sponsors on my podcast, and and that's uh, nice because it covers the cost of creating the podcast. There are quite a few costs uh, that that I have associated with it, uh, and it does leave a bit of pocket money, let's say, on the side as well. But it's not a huge income stream, so so financially, the the podcast is maybe not um, it's it's not important for me and i i could stop doing it and and i wouldn't necessarily and i wouldn't suffer financially for it uh i would have a lot more time uh but uh, of course it is really important for me because it is a a great tool for me to uh, to chat with really knowledgeable te- people and keep educating myself and of course it all also brings um brings more visibility to scientific craft as a brand people find 
a lot of people, not everybody, but a lot of people find us through the podcast. Uh, so, so it is kind of a, a marketing tool in, in that sense, even though that's not why I created it in the, in the, in the first place. Excellent. Great. Great to hear that. That was uh, a much more insightful answer than I, I would have been able to give myself. So that that's incredibly useful. Um, in, in terms of, uh, and, and I think this is quite an easy question to answer, right? You, you prefer to coach age groupers and pros rather than either or. And that sort of fits in with the question of, of you know, being a full-time hands-on coach, I guess. Mm, well, uh, yeah, that's an interesting one. Yes, I, I do actually. Uh, it's, that's not, I, I wouldn't say that that's the reason that I currently have, um, you know, both age groupers and pro, or it's not as if I have an option right now because I haven't had, you know, hundreds of pros knocking on my door to coach them. Uh, so, so even if I wanted to only coach pros, I, I wouldn't do that at the moment, at least. But, but I actually, I know that that's what I always will want to do to combine uh, working with both age groupers and pros for for several reasons. I think everybody's a unique challenge, and and there's something equally fun about the challenge of trying to make the most of somebody that has uh, six seven hours a week to train as somebody who has. 26 27 hours to train and uh and also i think in terms of time commitment it, it is a nice balance because uh the athletes that are the most time consuming to work with are uh without a doubt the professionals and uh so having a balance of age percent pros of course i put a lot of time into my age groupers as well uh but but if i had all of my athletes be pros then i would be working many many very long evenings i think <laughs> fair enough fair enough so if we removed the the politics, let's say there was a successful breakaway league that was just full-time draft legal, uh, sprint, Olympic distance, mixed relay, super sprint athletes, which which would you then prefer to coach if there w- weren't any of the other um, differences? Let's put it like this. If the, if the Olympics uh, was, wasn't subject to any of the politics and drama, then, uh, then I think that yeah, I, I would be tempted by the Olympics, but also I don't. I'm, if I'm being completely honest, I don't necessarily think that I have the same. Uh, at least right now, I would have to kind of learn to coach at that level because right now I wouldn't feel confident that I that I'm uh, at the level required as a coach to coach that kind of uh, that kind of performance. Just because I haven't I haven't competed at that level or near that level. That's not, and I haven't really been too involved in in that scene. So I think that, but in, in a hypothetical scenario where I had the same knowledge, then yeah, I would be tempted by, by the Olympics um, and with, without all of the, uh, the politics, let's say. Fantastic. Yeah, I, I grew up with, uh, with track and field, right? So Olympics was always, always attractive to me. And uh, the, the cut and thrust of Olympic distance racing, I remember being a long course athlete myself. Uh, but enjoying the short distance races, the the you know, the, the non draft uh, short distance races way more, and I could race them every weekend and stuff like that. And when when they went across to you know uh, to draft legal, I was with everybody else saying, "Oh, it's a different sport. It's it's terrible. It's you know it's really going to spoil the sport." But now I I just just find myself so much drawn to to draft legal racing it's just so exciting to me to watch and to work with and the and the skill and the tactical component is also huge you know so anyway i i'm i belabor a point but that, that's why i asked you know the specific point that comes to mind and 
it's been drifting around in my head for uh, probably over a year now. Is the you know the the kind of breakthrough understanding that Sebastian Weber brought to this VLA Max conversation? And I've always wanted to just ask you when that conversation started becoming um, highly relevant. Um, what what uh, what was your first? Wh- when did you first learn about that? And what would your brief summary be to a complete beginner coach of, of long course athletes in that regard? Yeah, <laughs> that, uh, that that's a very hot topic. That's maybe even like, you could say controversial. Uh, not quite controversial, I guess. But um, so the brief summary of what it is is that um, you have your just we we're familiar we're all familiar with VO two max generally speaking. That's your maximum aerobic capacity. How much oxygen can your body process to create metabolic energy, and and. Similarly to that, you have your VLA max, which is your maximum glycolytic capacity. So through the glycolytic um, energy uh, system, how much energy can you create? How much energy flux can you create? So so this can be, um, this is hard to measure. It can only, well, the, the ways to measure it that have been suggested are one of them is to use blood lactate. But the problem with that is that you're measuring uh, lactate from the bloodstream rather than intramuscularly and 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 we're actually the way that the VLA max works in the models that have been proposed where VLA max really determines uh, or helps determine alongside VO2 max something like your maximum lactate steady state or uh, your quote unquote threshold uh, that is based on an intramuscular model uh, and it's actually even more so it's based on a I believe single cell model originally in the work by uh, Aloy Mader so um, so anyway, VLA Max ha- has recently been popular because of the interest in establishing a threshold based on the combination of VLA Max and VO2 Max. That's one of the aspects, but also uh, the interest in calculating carbohydrate and fat oxidation at different intensities based on based on these models. I guess for me, the thing that the more I've studied it and read up on it, the more I see that well, there it's not really been validated at all. They, they are interesting models, but they are based on single cell physiology and uh, and actually validating. There has been, I think, one one study that uh, val- tried to validate the inside software that uses these concepts, but that was only for, uh, as far as I recall, via the VO2 max component of it. It wasn't about the threshold and the uh, fat and carb oxidation rates. Um, so I, now I'm losing your original question, actually, but maybe I maybe I got most of, most of the parts of it. No, no, you definitely, you know, I, I kind of want to carry on down that conversation, right? Because I'm furiously making notes here of your uh, definitions versus what, you know, what your guests and your experts have, have spoken about that. So I, I, I love that answer. It's actually, it actually covers what we need, right? Um, you know, I started, I started studying exercise science in the 70s and things have grown exponentially, obviously, since then. But it does make it interesting um, when you get back to Matt and I's world where you go, do you, when, you, when you're designing a training plan, um, look at things like this person's physiology seems quite well adapted, but they are unable to get it into the bike or into the swim or into the run, right? Do you distinguish between peripheral function, leg function, arm function uh, with some of your workouts versus just training up the physiology or the the metabolism? 
yes, uh, definitely. Uh, but I, I would also say that this is an area where I can absolutely improve. And this is where, well, both of you have taught me a lot. And uh, and one of the reasons that I'm so excited that you have just recently started this podcast, because I think that in this area, uh, there is a lot that I can learn. Um, but yes, I, I do. I For sure, the, the main thing that comes to mind is just with swim technique is where an athlete can be very fit, but they're not very fast just because their technique is not good. So that's a pretty easy one, not an easy one to correct by any means, but, but an easy one to establish whether an athlete is uh does not have good technique so so if i can i i try to obviously uh, see an athlete swim in person when i'm with them in person or get video from them and uh and try to work from that uh, the one thing that i'm really interested in at the moment probably more interested than anything else is uh, aerodynamics on the bike so for long course triathlon specifically and uh trying to working with with an expert uh, and and friend and uh learning a lot from him on that and uh yeah this is also some a place where i definitely am less and less interested in uh well i'm not it's not that i'm not interested in power but now i definitely have more of a balance in the bike workouts where there are some workouts where i tell the athlete to only care about your speed that you're producing and and try to do changes to maximize your speed don't worry about your what your power is because we want to make you faster uh not necessarily you don't have to be more powerful as long as you become faster. Um, running and running wise, uh, I think there are lots of things that I like to implement, like running hills, hill sprints, or uh, hill strides, uh, gym work, and so on. Uh, but I actually running is the area where I generally don't ask my athletes for videos to correct, and that I would probably do that if I was working with more beginner athletes, but with most of my athletes are at least intermediate to advanced uh, or even some pros. So so I don't feel like I am um, good. Like I don't have the expertise to give feedback on like this is something that you should try to work on in your running form. But I do try to give them the tools both through the training with using terrain like hills and using uh, strength training. And, um, and, and the same thing really is true on the, on the bike and in the pool as well. In the pool using... Uh, using tools to isolate certain parts of the stroke and uh, and on the bike using things like low cadence work it is something that I'm using less these days but but it, it is something that every once in a while I come across an athlete where I see that there's a clear disconnect between their central physiology and their peripheral physiology on the bike and and that's where I tend to at least give it a try with the low cadence work and see if that can um, be a key to them being able to express their full fitness on on the bike so so i guess the answer is yes uh, but there's still lots of ground to cover there and and work on and get better at okay okay yeah i remember wonderful conversations with uh with dean gollich uh from carmichael training systems when uh he was talking about the metabolic cost of going slightly faster on the bike if you don't massively um uh address aerodynamics and and the beautiful part of that conversation to me was is that in cycling in time trialing aerodynamics is everything right and then in in triathlon uh aerodynamics doesn't uh quite go to that high profile because it also then plays a role in in posture right so if you are super super aerodynamic on the bike it's likely that you're negatively impacting your run 
because of that. And if you look in the you know the in the old days, you look at uh, individuals like you know Mark Allen or Dave Scott that were were terrible in terms of being aerodynamic on the bike, and the bikes were not very aerodynamic and so on. And you wonder if that's why they ran so fast because the bike didn't take so much out of them. Obviously, they went considerably slower on the bikes. It's a fascinating conversation. I remember the year that Faris Al Sultan set the bike course record in Kona, uh, but ran appallingly. And then the next year, he was uh, less aggressive on the bike, um, probably more more aerodynamic, slightly slower time on the bike, but ran considerably faster. And I think he ended up winning that year. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. There, there is that that balance and. Even something like yeah, swimming, swimming and running are kind of the opposite to each other in terms of um, things like ankle uh, flexibility that is good for one, bad, bad for the other. Uh, maybe even to some extent uh, your uh, uh, anthropometry and, and things like that. So it's, triathlon is fascinating from that perspective that you always have to balance the three disciplines. And it is, it is really hard to do that. And sometimes it is a bit of trial and error. You have to fail once and then learn from it and, and do it right the next time. Yeah, one, one of the great uh, Aussie athletes from, from the 90s, uh, Craig Walton, always said to me that, you know, triathlon is a mongrel sport, right? You, you can find a way to get 30 seconds faster on the run, but you're going to lose two minutes on the bike. <laughs> so uh, it's, a, it's a, a fascinating game to play in that regard. So... You know, you said you kind of game, you're not so massively interested in your own performance. Um, but, you know, what level do you perform at and what level do you aspire to perform at? Talk a little bit about your own training and your own, you know, your own participation in, in triathlon. Yeah. Um, well, I first of all, I just love to be active and I, I love to train. So um, I'm sure that one day I will keep being a triathlon coach, but I might stop doing triathlon myself, but then I will probably be doing, uh, something different like trail running, uh, or, uh, yeah, something, something like that. I'll, I'll definitely always keep active and, and I do love endurance sports. Uh, so, so that's probably something I will always be, be involved in. Um, yeah, my, uh, but right now I'm, I'm, I'm still enjoying triathlon a lot and, and doing it and. I guess my I have two results that I am the most proud of, and one is uh, a four oh one half distance triathlon. Uh, just nothing, uh, nothing spectacular, which is why I don't really talk about my own training and racing on the podcast because I know there is nothing spectacular. But um, but it's it's not it's not slow, so so it's I'm I'm happy with it. For me, it's a it's a good result. I think I was uh, I was the Portuguese national championships that year for the half distance, and I think. I was sixth in that category, uh, so in the elite category. That is, uh, there were a couple of Spanish athletes that participated faster than me, but obviously they were not eligible for the Portuguese national championships. Um, and uh, the other one that I uh, that I'm happy with is my 2:42 marathon, uh, where I actually know that uh, I didn't have the best preparation or even race execution, but that was mostly because of the preparation. So I think that for the marathon, I I definitely want to. Uh, go for a sub 240 one day, but I could possibly get to a 235 if I give it enough time, enough years. Uh, and on for the for the triathlon part, um, yeah, I would I would like to do I would like to get a national championship podium in either the half or the full distance. And I actually have a the full distance national championships is coming up in in a few weeks. So let's see how that goes. Uh, I haven't participated in that race uh, before, so I don't really know exactly what to expect. But 
but I do think that generally here in Portugal, the level is slightly less competitive on the full distance than the half distance. So might be, uh, yeah, there might be an opportunity there. Okay. Well, Portugal is known for having amazing triathletes anyway. So the competition standard is quite high. People always say, or, it. yeah, I, I should, I should say there that the, the very best triathletes are not generally participating in, in these national championships for the half and the full distance because they are basically doing an Ironman race or, or something like that. So we do have some pro athletes that come and do these races, uh, at least a half distance one, maybe not the full distance one, but, uh, not the very top ones. You don't, uh, yeah, they might, they might actually show up for the half distance race every, every once in a while, but not all of them. And, uh, so, so it's not as if I'm competing against the full force of the very, of all of the best Portuguese athletes when, when we're talking about these races. Uh-huh. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I always say if you can do well in an age group race in in Boulder, you're probably going to do well in the national championship in the USA, right? So it depends where you come from. So you know, yeah. Um, yeah. But Lisbon sounds like it's a little bit of a hotbed of of triathlon, anyway. Anyway, yeah, so, there's there's quite a lot of people uh, outside of Lisbon, anyway, uh, a bit outside where it's not a little bit less traffic. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and they also have a great distance running history as well. So distance running is a is a big thing there too. Mm, yep. So taking a, a a step towards the philo- philosophical, I think your contribution to the sport is absolutely incredible. You know, you 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 stimulate such great conversation. You bring on great guests. Um, what do you think your legacy is that you are leaving and want to leave? What's your unique gift? Hmm. Um, that is a very good question. I. I don't know if I have a unique gift necessarily, but I have some strengths and I have some weaknesses and I'm quite aware of what both of those are. So, and I try to make the most of them, the strengths, of course, and, uh, and, and I try to mitigate my weaknesses either by, in some cases, working with other people that know these things better than I do. And, uh, like in the case of, for example, aerodynamics that I'm doing right now, um, or just making making them non-factors when it comes to my podcast, for example. Uh, naturally, I set up a podcast that is suited to my strengths, which is more on the, let's say, boring side of things, educational rather than entertainment. Like, I'm, I'm not going to have the uh, most entertaining podcast necessarily, but I think it can be very educational. So so I, f- I think that that's, um, yeah, that, that's, that's what, I would, what I would answer uh, to that question. Yeah, I was going to ask you if you consider if you think people think you're a yes man, but when you when you answer with the the term educational, right, um, it kind of speaks to your listeners, right? So um, I th- I I think people sign in because they they want to learn, right? But it's it's extremely entertaining, and very often you will listen to uh, a scientific type podcast. And you get lost, right? Even if you, you know, out on a run or a walk or a bike ride, you you kind of find yourself not rewinding, trying to listen to things. But that never happens with you. So I I think that your gift definitely is some part of that is definitely education. I think that that answers that question brilliantly. Yeah, and and there's the one thing that is really cool, as as you mentioned at the beginning of this conversation as well as or Matt mentioned it, is that uh, there's a lot of coaches listening and a lot of uh researchers listening so so these days it's actually quite common for me to reach out to a guest and they say yeah i've been listening to your podcast for years i'm so excited to to get on and uh yeah that is um that is a (laughs) thrilling feeling really for for me when that happens 
Yeah, yeah. I've always found in triathlon, especially when you're working with age groupers, that you have you have a very smart community with average talent, right? So, you know, they, they, they didn't turn out to be the greatest swimmers or the greatest runners or the greatest bike riders and, and they come to they come to triathlon. But it, the 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 intellectual level of, of, of triathletes always stuns me, right? So it I'm sure you have a lot of beginners that find what you're talking about extremely interesting. Um, but at the same time that's not necessarily represented in, in their results in age group competition. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so we're getting towards the end there, and I'm going to just ask you those final questions similar to to what you asked your your guests. But I just want to know if Matt has anything else that he he wants to speak to because this has been incredible, and and uh, we've uh, already got to our, our time, you know, our time conscription. But but otherwise, uh, Matt, anything you want to add to that? Well, first, I want to say I think I've done a really good job about not interrupting in this podcast. I really wanted to be able to get uh, Mikkel's thoughts out. And so we decided, Bobby, you would lead these questions. I've been listening and learning a lot. Just wanted to say, first of all, there's the culture conversation and having those thoughts about how you uh, pick guests and topics you talk about in an age of more spews, more views, and deciding that you're going to go more of the educational route, that's personally why I'm a fan. And even when I am listening to a podcast of yours that I think, yeah, not as much of my interest, I know there's that 1% that's going to still come in that conversation that I need to know. And so I listen anyway, right? So I think you're doing a great job of, of doing that. And really, I just wanted to say that you know, overall with, it's unfortunate, but I think with a lot of coaching, we have coaches that maybe have, uh, again, potentially a lot of influence, not as much education. We have coaches that are highly, highly educated, but, you know, they don't really know how to transfer that over. So when you were talking before about how you still compete and uh, at the same time, you are a coach first and then a podcaster I just thought, you know, that's such a valuable piece of information for me because I know over the years, it's been about understanding that I'm there to serve athletes and that is the first objective, at least you know, professionally. And then after that, I get to uh, go out and have fun and see what I can do. But as far as competition goes, or as far as what I can achieve with my own personal goals, I've had to put that on the back burner, but still trying to practice what I preach as much as possible. And it's it's a tough balance. So just been interesting to hear from you how you try to balance that out and you know what your expectations of yourself are as a as a coach and a person. Uh, I, I don't have anything to add to that, really, but uh, I'm glad you uh, found found it useful. Yeah, no, not really a question, really, but just more. I bet I appreciate that side of things, and I think that with coaches in general, it's it is a tough balance, and it is good to hear from people like yourselves on how you make this work. It's encouraging for me, so I thank you. I I think one one thing actually that that I now do want to uh, follow up on that you said there is with yeah more views, more views. Uh, I haven't heard that expression, but that's yeah. I, I think that is pretty reflective of uh the media climate today and and definitely something that i, I try to avoid but to the detriment of my download numbers 
and and I'm sure you will experience the same with your podcast. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think I think it's for me it's it's hard. It's always hard because you want to have more more downloads, more views, and everything. But but then at the same time, I try to think about well, it's it's really not about how many people listen to the podcast. It's about how much do they get out of it uh, really, and uh, and how how much value does it bring the 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 people that do listen to it. And I think that's reflected in the um, things like how many athletes we coach within scientific triathlon that have reached out to us through first learning about scientific triathlon through the podcast and have been with us for years and years. And, and the same thing with, uh, athletes come to the training camps that we run and, and so on. And, and, uh, just, uh, that sort of, yeah, that makes you see that you're having a real impact, even though uh, the download numbers might not be the highest in the world. Yeah. And I, you know, I'll finish with this thought and I'll let Bobby finish up. But when you were talking about that, I was thinking how we don't, we don't need to have everyone listening to us, just like we don't need to have everyone following our programs. I think we do have a specific niche and those people who are really interested in learning this information that, that we are trying to share those are the ones that would benefit the most from the programs. And you said before how a lot of people get a lot out of the pre-scripted even programs that you can offer. And I think that's key to me is I really am not trying to attract as many people as possible because a lot of those people aren't interested in the details in, say, our run form programs, whereas somebody like yourself or your listeners they certainly would geek out on that information and realize, wow, this is, you know, 60 years of combined coaching going into one video. And I really appreciate what it took to get that information to me today. That's the person that I think we're trying to attract. So that's not everybody. That's a niche. But the people who are listening and do want to learn, uh, I think they have that performance mindset. Like, I don't care what level they're at. And I think I heard that from you today because I would say I'm about the same way, about 75% age groupers, about 25% more elite or professional in my career. And I love having my finger on the pulse through all of that because there are so many beginners that I'm very uh, proud to have served and yet all the way up to a Ben Canute. So I'm very proud of that. And I think that that's a similar way of looking at things that, that you're doing things there. So yeah, absolutely love this conversation and uh love to have you on again at some point but uh yeah thank you so much and yeah, bobby you can finish off the podcast all right sounds good yeah michael i you know i did my human movement studies with uh all uh european um lecturers back in south africa in the day i had a austrian guy who taught me an anatomy and i had a dutch guy um, who who was involved in in a lot of the kinematic stuff that we learned. Uh, so it's interesting to me, you know, that you chose the field that you chose. So instead of asking you about your coaching resources, um, your favorite coaching resources, wh what do you think influenced your coaching approach, your coaching style the most? Because we all came out of our classes having been intensely involved with these individuals for three years. And then we all coached like they coached us, you know, until we developed our own style. What, what, what were your influences in that, in that domain? Yeah, I, I would actually say that um, that is my engineering background that has influenced my coaching. If I, if I pick one thing, it is the engineering background because I think that 
or the way I think about coaching, I, I am systematic. Like you have to be in engineering. If you're creating a sort of product like we did in the medical device industry, you you start with thinking about the end goal. Okay, what does this device have to do? What are the things that can't go wrong? What are the safety uh, the guard la- guardrails you need to have in place? What and, and if this device should do X, then um, how does it do that? What is the easiest way for you to achieve that? that requires the least energy, has the minimum risk of, risk of breakdown, so on. So basically, uh, if you start with a goal, uh, let's say, let's call it a, a 10-hour Ironman, then you break that down. What does that mean for the swim? What does that mean for the bike? What does that mean for the run? Then you break that down further. Okay, if we want to bike for five hours, uh, 20 minutes, uh, what power is that for this athlete, uh, given their aerodynamic uh, capacity and given the course? And, and you work backwards from that in, in the swim and the run, same same kind of thing. And then when you have those parameters established, you try to uh, to come to a, a training prescription. So, or you, you, of course, you have to have a measure of where you are right now. So what where are we at right now? I can hold uh, X amount of watts for five hours 20, but I need to add 20 more watts to get to that goal um, bike split. So... So what do we need to do in training to get to that? And then you have your toolbox, which is the the different uh, training interventions, the different workouts, and uh, and so on. And and a lot of what I guess what what that triathlon show is about, and what the guests on the show talk about, and what I talk about is the different tools in the toolbox. But then the challenge is trying to pick the right tool in the toolbox. And for that, there's always a little bit of there's a little bit of of uh, uh, a lot of experience, a lot of uh, pattern recognition, but there's a lot of um, uh, trial and error in a way. But yeah, you have to just be monitoring and be very observant and uh, have a good communication with athletes. So, so, but I think that the um, the engineering background that I have is the biggest influence because um, yeah, that's what allows me to have a pretty systematic approach to coaching and uh, and I've yeah built some systems and processes that I think work well. And then I'm really agnostic to the training philosophy because the, for me those are just the different tools that i have at my disposal but but i but the engineering approach is what helps me prioritize okay this athlete needs to work on the bike they need to add this many watts this athlete needs to work on the swim this athlete needs to work on the run and i know that because i've broken things down into smaller components and and then all the way until i get to the point where i need to really apply the training intervention you know what? I am so glad I didn't call those rapid fire questions because I <laughs> needed that answer. That was fantastic. Well done, Michael. That's a perfect answer. Thank you. I remember Seb Seb Coe, Sebastian Coe's dad was an engineer as well, and he approached it from what he called first principles. And that's basically what you've just said. You know, use those first principles. All right, last question for me. Mentors. Have you had people that have greatly influenced you in your in your coaching? Um there's lots of people. I I don't think I I would put out any single name. I I have had I mean I had had my own coaches that have been very influential. Definitely I would say that the coaches in within scientific triathlon uh, they are very influential for me as well. I learn a lot from them uh, and we we talk uh, very regularly. Uh, I learn a lot from my athletes. I I mean I can't call them mentors necessarily because I'm coaching them, but I really learn a lot from them. I think. In general, I just try to be very open-minded in every conversation I have with coaches, athletes, and academics, and and learn something from everybody. So, so yeah, I don't uh, I don't think that I I have any one or two or three people that I would 
uh, call out and say that these are my mentors. But yeah, there's uh, um, literally hundreds of people almost at this point, or there are because that's the number of people I have interviewed. But it's it goes far beyond the people I have interviewed, and the more influential ones are certainly the ones that I have had more regular contacts with, like my own coaches and uh, training partners and and athletes and and my colleagues within scientific triathlon. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Michael. So I'm wishing you as a closing for a work-life balance that there'll be more beaches, more nature, more surfing, and more time with your fiance, soon-to-be wife. Uh, Thank you so much for coming on our show. I think that was fantastic. Loved every moment of it and uh, really appreciate you. Yeah, thank you. I had a a lot of fun and I really appreciate uh, you both as well and uh, everything that you're doing. And I'm really excited for uh, your podcast and uh, and I'm yeah going to be a, a very regular listener for sure as always thanks for listening to the run form podcast and as a reminder we offer a totally free movement improvement assessment on our Pandola project website here you can get your own personalized protocol that will help your running today so give that a try Also, Bobby and I are experts on any question app where you can ask us, well, any question. So reach out to us directly there. Finally, if you learned anything new today, don't forget to share it with your compadres and leave us a quick review. That really helps us a lot. All the links you need are in the show notes below. Till next time, have a great run. Well, that was was awesome. Yeah.